This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and welcome to the latest episode of Analyzing Everton. Uh, my name's David Hughes, obviously, and I am joined by Josh Williams. Josh, how are you, mate? Doing good, mate. Same as always. Yeah, same as always. <laughs> Yeah, same as we were when we last spoke on the podcast about two hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> You're a little bit worse than last week, though, I assume. Yeah, a little bit, yeah, because obviously this this show comes on the back of an, an Everton defeat, the first of the season, um, which wasn't nice to see. I'd, I'd kind of forgot what it felt like, to be honest. I was just going to say, then, a new feeling for you, yeah. Yeah, well, obviously the last one was the back end of last season, Bournemouth at home, which I think was July, with that did the tail end of October now, so in Everton standards, that's that's quite quite a while without a defeat. Uh, but yeah, well, obviously we'll touch on that game that lost to that two 0 defeat to Southampton. Um, we'll talk about some of the key moments from that, and then we'll have a little. I think now is a really good time, especially on the back of the defeat, just to take stock a little bit and see. Obviously, we know that Everton have had really good results, but uh, what are the underlying metrics telling us? You know how how good do Everton look in terms of their performances, and what can we kind of anticipate from the next few weeks and months? Uh, and then we'll look ahead to Newcastle, a game that Everton will obviously be trying to use to bounce back after that after that first defeat of the season. But we'll um, we'll go back to Southampton, which was a few days ago now on Sunday. Um, Obviously, a two-nil defeat, first defeat of the season. Um, Josh, I know you watched it. What were your general thoughts of the game on the day? To be honest, I was really impressed with Southampton more than I was disappointed with Everton. Um, I thought Southampton were flawless on the day, uh, very impressive in control throughout. And I think you know all phases of the game, without the ball, with the ball in transition, they were just. Really well drilled, I thought they all looked really sharp. Um and I thought Everton looked a little bit I'm not sure what the word is really. Um I think you could tell he was a few new faces compared to the usual starting eleven. Mm. And I think Calvert Lewin in particular was was quiet but but I think that's as a consequence of the you know, the support around him, the the service he was given sort of thing. I think it was just an all round quite perfect day if you're a Southampton supporter, Southampton player. Um whereas for Everton, it was probably just one of them. Really, I think that's probably the best way to describe it. Yeah. Um you just one of them you just I don't think there's that much you can you can learn from it almost. It's just one of them off days that you need to wear. Uh, I mean there's certainly is aspects that you can learn from it which we're gonna get to, but I think generally it just weren't a great day. Yeah, I agree. I th- you were saying about what term would you use? I'd probably say it was quite disjointed display by Everton, um, which you can come to expect when you're without some key players. Obviously, some things didn't go Everton's way as well. You know, they go down to ten men on a. I don't know. In some ways, you could call it a, a dubious red card. I can see both sides of the argument, but I think it speaks volumes that it was reduced almost immediately to. A one game ban instead of three, um, but yeah, it's it, it just Everton just didn't seem to be in that same stride that we've become used to seeing them in this season. Um, if we have a look at the the numbers from the day, there was there was a little between the two in terms of the xG. Everton finished with zero point four, uh, Southampton zero point seven. But um, Everton managed just six shots in the game, two of which were on target. Um, and I'm pretty sure Southampton, yeah, Southampton managed 12 with six on target. And I think that captures a little bit better that, you know, they were the better side of the two. Um, and it was a fully deserved win for the home side. Yeah, just looking at Everton's shot map here, the, the six shots that they had, three of them were outside the box. And one of them that was inside the box was from a set piece, Yeti Mina header. Um, so I think generally the biggest issue for, for Everton on a day seemed to be in attack really rather than defence. No, the defence wasn't great. And specifically I think it was the, the second goal, 
scored by Jay Adams, I think it might have been. Mm. Wasn't a great goal to concede the way he had, um, you know, excessive time at the back post, just set himself and, and find a net. But if you do look at Southampton's shots, quite a few of them are inside the box, but, the, but they're, all, they're all relatively, you know, maybe 0.1 type XG chances, which... Mm. You know, sometimes he can go in, sometimes, but most of the time you don't really do the damn kind of shots. Um, so I think the defense was probably, if you if you look at the other games Everton have played, talked since the start of the season, I think the defensive performance was not too dissimilar to what we've been used to. I think it was yeah. the attack that suffered most. The, the the attack was the biggest thing that dropped. Yeah, that's that's a really good point because if you only concede, you know, point seven. XG against per game, you you very rarely going to get hammered, you know, and, and and you're not always going to concede two goals either. Obviously, they did in this game, but it, it does capture that it maybe wasn't a, a terrible defensive display on the day. But um, yeah, I mean, but put it this way, like on the stats, look at the you know the shots, the expected goals, the shots on target, the possession, all that sort of stuff, and uh, apply a percentage to what they think. The, the likelihood of a of a loss or win or whatever, and um, although I felt bad on the day, um, according to understand Southampton had a forty four percent chance of winning the game, forty three percent chance of it being a draw, and thirteen percent chance of an Everton win. So obviously the thirteen percent chance of an Everton win co- comes back to the fact that Everton's attack was just quite blunt mm. on the day, but the fact that. Um, the the draw and the Southampton win in terms of probability was relatively even. I think probably captures how the game maybe wasn't as bad as 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 it felt on the day. Um, yeah, it was Southampton just really accumulating a number of low quality chances really with it with Everton uh, posting virtually nothing. Yeah, if um, if Southampton were maybe a little less dangerous in the attacking third or a little less clinical, they could have quite easy easily finished like a nil nil draw on another, in another week. Um, but it obviously didn't. And a theme that's kind of generating already within our conversation is the bluntness of Everton's attack. And um, I don't know about you, I think a lot of that does come down to Richarlison not being in the team. I think he proved a really big miss. Um, from in my opinion, I think Everton missed his you know penetration from the left. When we've done other match previews this week, and we've talked about the differences differences between Everton's right side and Everton's left side, you know the the right sides often felt more of the uh, I don't know the side where the playmaking happens. Obviously with James Rodriguez on it, where it is that left side where there's a lot more um, penetration from, shall we say. Um, Obviously, he wasn't there. Awobi comes in. But I think we saw the issue with Awobi, who, you know, got really slaughtered after the game. I actually think he started okay first 10, 15 minutes, but he definitely tailed off. Uh, but the, the issue with Awobi, as we saw, was he's just not the same profile of player. Um, you know, he yeah. seems to have too many touches in possession, and it looks like it upset the dynamic of the attack a little bit. Yeah, that's the crucial aspect, but you've just said there, he's, he's not the same profile of player. So you're trying to use this this four three three system um that Ancelotti seems to have established for this season based on his new set of players. But it, it the issue is that, you know, it's very much a first eleven and beyond that you haven't got A that much quality, but B you haven't got like for like profiles. So the fact that with Charleston was out and he opted to bring in it will be instead. I I thought it was a bit curious. I said before the game, you know, on the preview last week, it will be would have been my option if Hammers was out. Whereas if Richarlison's out, you want a player who's going to threaten him behind, particularly in Southampton, who we've seen are vulnerable to that sort of thing. You want a player who's going to be direct. He's going to want to get shots away. It will be. Is not that. Um, I would have personally used Anthony Gordon uh, mm. from the start. I thought even when he came on, he looked a bit more. Just a bit more of intent about his game when mm. it comes to actually delivering product. Whereas when it comes to a Wobi, I think he does a lot when it comes to well, he's supposed to do a lot when it comes to ball progression, getting you up the field, getting you closer to goal. But finishing moves 
that he's never been that player. He's never going to be that player either. Um, so yeah, not enough of a threat in behind. And surprisingly for Ancelotti, I did, I did think it was a bit of a mistake going for a Wobie. I think he just went with the quality. I think he, just went, he looked at a Wobie and Gordon and thought, a Wobie's got more quality about him. I'll play him. Rather than thinking who's more similar to Richarlison. Yeah, I agree. Actually, I think even for the manager like Ancelotti, and we'll talk about the team selection in a little bit. But I think even for him, you know, there would have been lessons learned from from that from that on Sunday. Um, you know, just I mean, just on Awobi specifically for the moment. For me, I watched I watched his kind of highlight reel back um, from the game on Sunday. I say highlight reel. That's a loose term. I, I basically watched his actions back in the game. His <laughs> low uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and what what really stood out for me, Josh, was he, he just seems a player who is still really unsure of himself. And I'm not sure if that's because he's he can't get a place in the team. Um, but it, you know, he he seems to often miss windows to dribble or to play a decisive pass because he just wants to take an extra one or two touches in possession. And it just kills moves. I don't think Richardson does that. I think he is quite direct. Or um, yeah, he, he'll always try and progress the ball towards the goal. Where I think Awobi is quite happy to take the safer option at times and, and, and come backwards and turn away from goal. Um, and that, I think that really did upset the dynamic of the team. And I don't want to sound too drastic. And I'm not saying he, he was at fault for the performance because obviously he come off at half time. But you could in many ways say that the game was done at that point in any event. But I think that's the issue with the Wobie. He's just, he, um, he, he seems to take too many touches, isn't direct enough. And when you compare that directly with Richarlison, then, then you see why it didn't work. Yeah, I just uh, I, I just don't think he's a forward. He's not a forward for me. No. Um, when you look at these players, there's, there's some players who are, who are labelled as attackers and stuff like that. But when you actually look at the, the product, you know the 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 goals, the assists, the shots, the sh- shots assisted. They they're not doing enough. And if you're in the final third, if you if you're one of those players who's who's been afforded almost the luxury of of playing in the final third, it's it's the the area of the pitch, the one area of the pitch where you have to deliver. You have to actually you know do something that's goal related, do something that's related to adding value in terms of putting the ball in the net. Um, and I think players that players who have got attacking profiles but don't do that enough. I always like it when they're dropped back. Um, like if you think of if you think of maybe a William, if you think of Genie Wijnaldum when he moves to Liverpool, just players who are, who've been attackers young in the early stages of the career, but once they've been uh, once they've been presented to maybe a modern tactical manager who's got a bit of an alternative interpretation of the game. They get they get moved back and they're, they're still useful. Um but just it, 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 it takes the onus away from them when it comes to you have to deliver, you have to do something that matters. I don't think it will be that player. I really don't mm-hmm. I think he, he would have been better suited. To be honest, if you look at Everton's system on the day, it would have been interesting to see Anthony Gordon, where Iwobi was, and Iwobi, where Sigurdsson was. Just mm. just see how that worked. Just test it. I mean, you don't want to test it in the Premier League, I suppose, but I would have, been, I would have liked to see something like that. I just don't think he's a forward. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. You know, we have said before, in, in many ways, Iwobi has the build and the kind of profile as a number eight. Um, and I know what I understand you're trying to make the point of you don't want to be testing games in the Premier League, but in some ways, Sunday's game was a, a forced test almost. You know, you had to test players out in in place of others. Um, you had to try and put different profiles in and see, and, you know, within the existing formation and see if Everton could replicate the same performance. Uh, we now know they couldn't, but I think a will be in a number eight is something that needs to be tried at some point, maybe preferably against a, a lesser opponent at home. Um kind of try that experiment because as you've just said there and I do have to agree I think the longer it's going on Awobi's just not looking like a player who can impact much in the in the, in the the attacking third and 
he certainly doesn't look to be an out-and-out wide man. I think it, it speaks think, volumes. Just sorry, just quickly. Uh, I yeah. think it speaks volumes that last week neither of us said about putting the Wobie as the left winger, if I remember correctly. Yeah. You know, also the options with Everton. That's what we're going to say. Sorry. I was going to say that it's funny enough that the team that Everton faced on the weekend, it it's kind of happened in that squad. Uh, I think Hasenhuttle's dropped Ward Prowse back into a bit of a centre midfield position, even though in the past few years he's kind of been a bit of a, a bit of a winger type player, um, depending on the formation that you're using. Four four two he's out wide on the right, maybe four three three he's out wide on the one of the inside positions or something like that. But it it's just something that it does tend to work if if you want to use a player's attacking qualities, but he doesn't have the actual output, the, the actual product. Um, I just think it, it will be fits that bill. I mean, if you look at New, what Newcastle United did a few days ago, I mean, Steve Bruce is far from, from this, you know, <laughs> your tactical uh, experiment, experimental type, type manager, but I think he played uh, Ryan Fraser in centre midfield just, just as an, an alternative little test. Mm. Um, I mean, he's lacking centre midfielders, which is why he did it. But, yeah, I just think it's. I think the spotlight gets put on a Wobie when it comes to, you know, goals and assists and chances and shots and that. When it when he's in one of them forward positions, offensive positions, and he doesn't uh, he doesn't deliver enough for me in in that. Department. Yeah, I agree. Um, let's talk about a player who does normally deliver in that department, but struggled a little bit on on Sunday, and that was obviously James Rodriguez. Um, in the game, he had 53 touches, which is, I mean, noticeably fewer than a season average of 68. Um, I think, yeah, if, we, if you have a look what really happened with James Rodriguez, obviously we, we've touched on the issues with the left of the attack. But then there was also, uh, he had Godfrey behind him, didn't he, as, a, um, as the right back. And I don't think Godfrey had a good game on the day. We'll, we'll touch on him in a minute, but... I, although James Rodriguez is a fantastic player, and we've we've, we've seen how, how you know how much he can impact Everton's attack, it did kind of feel like uh, he didn't have those moving parts around him to kind of um, I don't know to, to I guess to produce his best stuff. You know, he didn't really have that over overlapping right back in the form of Coleman. Uh, he didn't really have the same options out on the left. Um, and with it all being disjointed around him, I think that just impacted his ability to to produce his best game, I guess. Yeah, you're spot on. Um, when it comes to the moving parts around him, couldn't agree more, really. I think he's the type of player to, who benefits from people running beyond him. And as a result of those people running beyond him, it, it creates space around him. Um, obviously, he's been cutting inside from the right into almost like a number 10 type position. Um and he's had space in those areas because Calvert-Lewin's running behind, Richarlison's running behind. As you said, Coleman's maybe down and down the right. And uh, it just it, it wasn't really the case. I think he only ever had one man to find at St Mary's, and, and and that was Calvert-Lewin. It was just I don't know. It was he was it felt like a one man attack. He was completely um, marked out the game almost. Uh, if you look at like a, a player like Bruno Fernandes, for example, at Manchester United. You know, if you take Martial and Rashford and those those speedy players out around him, he, he looks largely useless. I mean, if you, Joe, Joe Linton is a, is a player last season, I think he looked pretty much useless. And Firmino looked useless when he first came to England because he didn't have to pace around him. Mm. These are all different players. I'm not comparing Hamas Aziz to these players, but in a way, the, the, these are the types of players that benefit from players running beyond them because they're not going to do it. And it allows them to kind of showcase what they're good at by finding these plays and using mm. the space that, that they create. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And um, obviously there wasn't enough of that going on around him. And, you know, we've already seen this season that Everton, he, well, he is in many ways Everton's attack. You know, he's, what was it, 10, 10 goal contributions and Everton have only scored 14 this season. Um 
so he's no, he's he's massive, and if he's not able to perform as best, there's a good chance that Evans' attack isn't able to either, and that's what we saw. Um, which probably doesn't actually have a shot, you know. I mean, that's that is a surprise. I'm sure he was averaging around three a game or something. Well, since the start of the season, so this is Spurs onwards, only in the Premier League. Two shots, six shots, four shots, three shots, five shots. And then at St Mary's, zero. So yeah. uh, you know that's a bit of a drop off. Yeah, that that I mean that that probably most perfectly captures the kind of issues Evan had in attack. That you you, you inform striker. Not only did he not score, but he didn't even have a shot. Um, yeah, you know it says that everything around him wasn't really working as it should have been. Which um, which isn't good. Yeah, he didn't he didn't uh, didn't assist a shot either. Didn't set up anyone else. So no. as I said, just. Com- I don't, I don't, I'm not even saying he played bad. He didn't. He didn't even play bad. He just. He just weren't even given a chance to play good. Almost. Yeah. It was, it was weird. It was like he was isolated, wasn't it? And you know you can't yeah. take on a team on your own. Um, just quickly on, we just touched on him, but Godfrey, uh, he, he struggled, didn't he? At right back, it does. Uh, I actually thought he did okay against Mane in the derby. Um, yeah, I did. But so it it meant i'm you know i'm i'm reluctant to call out ancelotti because i think we probably would have if put on the spot said about putting godfrey in it right back um but with with the benefit of hindsight you probably think should he have gone with a natural right back in the form of john joe kenny who's obviously in the wings waiting um we we said about a be playing on the left um you know it didn't we don't think it was probably the right decision. So, in in some ways, are you thinking maybe Ancelotti could look back and think he might have he might have got it wrong in terms of his team selection? Because, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I, my opinion on it is especially Godfrey. As I said, this is with the benefit of hindsight now. But I think could he he could play as a right back for the side who a lot more defence orientated, so side who maybe sit in the deep defensive block. Um, we know where he's doing more defending than anything else. So I'm not saying he can't play it right back, but I don't think he can play right back in Everton's system because they, from that position, they need some sort of attacking influence. Um, you know, they need to be able to get up and down the pitch, and they need to be able to offer something in the attacking third. And I think you know Coleman does do that. Yeah, I must be honest. I probably would have played. Godfrey, if I was in charge, simply because he, he did look like capable against mm. Liverpool. Liverpool are a better team than Southampton. Um, and I did not really think that would be too problematic. I do think he got a selection wrong, though, in terms of the opposite side of the pitch. Obviously, I've got Lucas, Lucas Dean playing as, as normal, but then ahead of Lucas Dean, uh, Andre Gomez came out. What was the reason behind that? Um, he, he didn't play well in the derby, did he? You know, to be fair, just, we just got dropped because of form. Yeah. Okay. We took Andre Gomez out, put Sigurdsson in, and took, mm. obviously, with Charles out, because he was suspended, and put in a Wobie in. Yeah, just, I think maybe that, that little area is what I disagree with. I think uh, I would have put Gordon in for, for a Wobie, and there's a question mark as to whether I would have played Sigurdsson as well. I don't, I'm not sure I would have, to be honest. I think Sigurdsson, for the start, is the type of player who benefits from the right side of the pitch. I think mm. I think he's got a bit of a I mean, hold me back here when I say this, but he's got a bit of a De Bruyne dynamic about him in terms of just <laughs> the way the way he whips whips the ball and stuff like that. So I think that benefits the right footer player from the right side. But I think he was deployed on the left of the midfield, wasn't he? Yeah, he uh, was, yeah. So the yeah, thing is he yeah, I was just gonna say he has been in good good form and I think a few people were saying bring him in, but it's kind of one of them where you've come in now, you've kind of been picked over someone else, and you, you haven't delivered. And I think it, it, it's probably pulling back to two places now after you know, kind of doing some good work this season so far. Um, yeah, which is a shame. Just gonna, his, uh, just gonna look at his pass map here, but uh, it, I think he actually took the captaincy, didn't he? Yeah, he is. He is one of the captains, to be fair. Um, yes, yeah. See, see, he played. He played an hour. And he he made thirteen passes. Um, yeah, good enough for really. One shot. I think it was a decent effort. Actually, I remember that shot. Yeah, at the bar, uh, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
te dias se este dia os jotos um, e no no he didn't so yeah he's one of them players it just feels a little bit like he's he's been given a, a chance a second chance a third chance a fourth chance um and it's just kind of one of them where like i know Ancelotti hasn't been there for the whole time mm. but it's just a bit like from an outside perspective for me it's it's a little bit like um you know how many shots are you giving this lad before you kind of accept that at best he's going to be a maybe a an impact sub yeah, I think that's his role because when he's when he's been coming in as a substitute, he's looked good. But you know, is is the proof is in the pudding, as they say. He's he started and it looked like a Sigurdsson of old, you know, the one that everybody wanted to get rid of in the summer. So yeah, it wasn't a great performance. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. We will move on because, as I said, I think on the back of a defeat, six league games in. Um, still holding on top of the league but I think it's a good time to take stock uh, because we know the results have been really good but um, you know Josh we like to look beyond the results don't we like to look beyond the goals and kind of see what what's happening in the underlying metrics and I thought it'd be good if we were to kind of almost treat Everton now as if we were previewing them for an up and coming game you know what would we? What would be the feel we were getting for them? And you know what? I don't know. I get, what what can we expect from them going forward in the next few weeks? Um, so I'll, what I'll do, Josh, is I'll just run through some numbers now, um, and I'll get your get your thoughts on them. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Happy. Yeah. Go on. Okay. So we've got um, fourteen goals scored so far this season, which I believe is the third best in the division. Which obviously looks quite good. Thirteenth um, for shots taken per ninety, which is a little bit of a surprise. Um, fourth for XG, and got the highest XG per shot in the division, which is you know uh, impressive. Eleventh uh, for goals conceded. Seventh for um, post shot expected goals against. I think that something captures things a little bit better sometimes than just. Expect the goals against. Um, so one, it looks there, Josh, as if we got a team who scored a lot of goals so far. They look fairly good in terms of their xG numbers in attack. Um, not taking a ton of shots, which is a little bit of concern in my opinion. Probably like to see a few more. Um, you know, mid ranking for goals conceded, um, seventh for post shot expected goals against. So. All that in mind, how are you kind of seeing Everton so far, Josh, beyond the results? Um, yeah, I think it's, I think at the minute, they are, I mean, if we're talking about the first 11, I, I, I do think they are a, a pretty well balanced side, um, mm. who now do have a bit of a dynamic that they've struck in attack, but a little bit of a variety in attack, they're not, they're not completely predictable. Um, don't generate many chances, but the ones that they do generate are quite clear cut. Um, I, I agree with you in terms of um, you want them to be to be taking a few more. So they're averaging eleven point three shots per per match. You probably want that to to be pushing thirteen over something like that, which isn't doesn't sound like much, but over the course of a season, thirteen plus. Average. I, th- I can't remember what, what the average last season. I'll double check that now. But I do think that generally, generally, I think this was an issue that we pointed on last season. If you're taking the same amount of shots as your opponents, matches do become, you know, in the balance, and it's just kind of like you have a go, we have a go, and it's you're open to the elements of chance. Then last mm. season, Evan Evan went around twelve, so probably looking, yeah, maybe at least thirteen, really fourteen. So, sort of thing to kind of put things in your own favour almost to kind kind of get results more under control mm. um, I'd say there's not enough outside the first 11 and whenever there's going to be an injury specifically to players who are irreplaceable in terms of not having the same profile in the back, mm. back as a backup option sorry I think that's going to be an issue and I think obviously Pickford is a bit of a problem but if you look at 
the expected goals and the expected goals against. Everton have actually overperformed a little bit in attack, but underperformed by roughly the same amount in defence. So I'd say Everton are probably a little bit better defensively than their goals conceded column suggests. And they're probably a tiny bit worse than the goals for column suggests. Mm. Um, which again comes back to probably the first thing you said was that they're becoming quite a well-balanced team, I think. Um, who just maybe need a slight more of a boost in attack and I think they'll be pushing the business end of the table. Yeah, it's... Um... I must say, when I looked at those numbers, I was a lot happier than I thought I was going to be because I just had a feeling that the, the metrics would say that they're kind of more closer to a mid-table side. Um, but it seems to me like they're, they're probably closer to maybe like a, a mid-top-half table team. Um, would you say that's fair? A fair assessment? Yeah, I'd say, I'd say the numbers at the minute look, look you know, in and around, you know, Top top eight certainly. Um, yeah. Like if you look at the the expected goal difference, let me let me double check that now. I do think it's interesting that just quickly while you're bringing that up, uh, based on understat uh, expected points, Evan the second behind Liverpool, which kind of illustrates yeah. them uh, on a basic level at least as you know where they have been in the top two. But I think what we're doing now, me and you, is just delving a little bit deeper on other things to try and get a, a better overall overall feel for what kind of team Everton are based on performances and right, right now they look like a, you know, maybe like a top six, top seven definitely. Yeah, I mean it is worth saying that it's it's very, very early. Yeah. Um, certain teams maybe look bad in the numbers because they've already faced Manchester City and, and Liverpool. Some people, uh, some teams look good in the numbers because they've had an easy start maybe. Um but in terms of goal difference, Everton on plus five at the minute, mm. which is the third best. And in terms of expected goal difference, they're on plus 4.4, which is the second best. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think generally it, it is a good start. But I, don't, I don't think we need to get carried away by by a negative result without without one or two of your regular starters. Yeah, and a red card on the hour mark. You know what I mean? I think it's a, I think it's a good start of the season, and as long as Everton don't let the the current situation get carried away, as long as Everton don't worsen the current situation by maybe like a few more injuries or or um, you know losing the heads a little bit, I think if you just kind of in the next match try to get back to a bit more, a bit more of a consistent level than what they were before the Southampton game, um, I still think they're on for a good season. Yeah, that's it. I think the reason I wanted to do this, even though it's only six games in, was I think it was I just wanted to base the appease and be sure that we 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 weren't going to expect some huge drop off in terms of results, you know. And because as I said, although it's only six games, you can still get a good feel for things, and this suggests that we're, we're probably not. Now, I'm not saying we're going to spend the rest of the season doing a sequence of four wins, one loss, and a draw. Because you know that would take you to eighty odd points, and I don't think that's doable for Evan. Um, but it does suggest that there's certainly an opportunity to kind of pick, keep picking up results uh, based on these performances so far, and definitely be there or thereabouts in, or in around top six at the end of the season. Um, one I thing that is well, you know, the, the league is a mess at the minute when it, when it comes to you know your usual top sides, all the big six, if you like, and all that sort of stuff. It is very much up in the air at the minute. There's, there's, there's no real dominant team at the minute. Um, but at the same time, with the exception of maybe Fulham and West Brom, I think everybody else is at an OK level, let's say. Um, I think there's much more of a... Like I think the champions of this season are going to be in the 80s in terms mm-hmm. of points rather than the 90s. Like Arsenal, for example, who we had regarded as a big team. They've taken the same amount of shots so far this season as Sheffield United, 52. Mm. Um, last season, Arsenal finished on fewer shots than, than Norwich. Um, obviously, <laughs> the fact that they've got top strikers gets them out of that because they're able to put the ball in the net better than the average player. But I do think there's um, there's just something, and the lack of fans as well. I think if you just look at the current season, the current table, the squads, the managers about... It just looks like there's going to be a, 
it's going to be one of them seasons that's a bit mental in mm. terms of their uh, final standings at the end of 38 games. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's kind of the, it, if you're going to have a good season, I think this is it because um, this season you could get a lot more for what you achieved than maybe in other years when you know all the top sides were were really at it. So that's something to obviously keep an eye on. But just quickly before we move on, Josh, um, I mean we've just I should have done this initially because we just run through the underlying numbers, um, but it, it is becoming a bit of an issue that Everton can't seem to. Let me start again. They can't seem to keep a clean sheet um, because they've conceded two goals in three consecutive Premier League matches now, and they've actually got no clean sheets since the opening day of the season. Um, and it, you know, it goes without saying that it, that's not a good thing because you, you, I feel like Everton's attack has been so good so far that they've just been able to kind of outscore the opposition, but. Um, that's not going to happen every week, and it's Everton aren't going to win games if they if they're expected to score three or more goals to win each week as well. So, you know, if Everton keep conceding the way they are, they're going to keep making the attacks job a lot harder. And um, I don't know, you know, do you, do you kind of see these things as let it run its course and it will even out eventually, or do you start being a little bit concerned when you're conceding like that? Do you think? No, I think I, I I would look at the former. To be honest, I think I'm a bit more inclined to think it'll even out, especially mm. if your your underlying numbers are okay. Um, and I do think this is a bit of a theme at the minute in the league, considering like the number of goals being scored early on. There was quite a few penalties being given. Um, and if you actually look at the numbers, so Sheffield United and Fulham still haven't actually kept a clean sheet, um, and. There is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight teams who've kept a clean sheet in 16.7% of their games so far, and Everton are one of them. Arsenal mm. are there, Brighton are there, Liverpool are there, Spurs, Newcastle. Um, you've got three teams who've kept a clean sheet in 20% of the games. So the, 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 there's only one team with with 60% clean sheets in in the games um, and that's Aston Villa so <laughs> I, I, I do I do think put it this way there's, there's only three teams with 50% or above when, when it comes to clean sheet percentage they're Wolves Southampton and Villa every other team has kept a clean sheet in less than half of the games so far mm-hmm. uh, so I, I don't think that's something that's that much to worry about especially considering as I said before Everton seems to be underperforming a little bit on the defensive side, according to understats, at least they've, they've conceded three more goals than uh, the XG. Mm. But that's that's obviously not not post shots. That I'm I'm not looking at that. But um, yeah, but you still get a feel, don't you, with location based XG? You still get an, an idea of things, in my yeah, opinion. I mean, po- post shots, Everton have conceded two point one more goals than than they should have. That's according to Statsbomb. That mm. that tends to be one of them metrics the way you look at the goalkeeper, really. But uh, yeah, it does feel a bit early for this sort of thing. Yeah, that's it. We obviously we, we won't drill down too much on it, but you, you do wonder if you could somehow maybe have a two point one swing the other way before goals better off. Um, and okay, it hasn't bothered Evan too much because where they are, they're still top of the league. But um, over the course of the season, you know, you want if you can try and find a way to outperform that metric, then you tend to tend to be better off, and that's what the best defenses slash keepers do. But um, anyway, yeah. So the good news is, you know, if there's one takeaway point I want listeners to think about is that it doesn't look, from what we've seen so far, albeit early days, doesn't look like there's going to be a huge drop-off in terms of the decent results that we've seen so far. They might not be replicated to the extent they have been, but it looks like Everton are a, a, a good side this season and uh, it should continue, hopefully. Yeah, I, I think the big the big caveat I'd like to add on that, though, is the, the first 11 thing. I think, mm. we, you know, that, that, that being the case, if the first 11 are playing, or maybe mm. the first 12, or maybe at a push 13, but I think beyond that, you probably will encounter problems and uh, those numbers will take a bit of a hit. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for killing the positivity on the, uh, on the segue there. Josh. <laughs> I have to let, I have to, I have to admit though, it is a really good point. 
So yeah, it is. You know, it's it's kind of got a good core, twelve or thirteen. But as we saw on Sunday, beyond that, there's there's going to be issues. So fingers crossed, suspensions slash injuries slow down a little bit. Um, but bounce back, hopefully this weekend against Newcastle United. Um, Newcastle so far played six league games. They've won two, drawn two, lost two. Um, some uh, yeah, I have some comments on Newcastle, but Josh, any general thoughts on uh, on the side from the northeast? I think that sums them up genuinely. I think mm. they're just a complete mixed bag. Um, pick a mix, whatever you want. <laughs> mix nuts. <laughs> um, for, for, for a while, when it comes to the numbers and when it comes to the results, the, the, they are a bit of a weird team, to be honest. Uh, since since Steve Bruce took over there and. I think even a little bit maybe with Rafa, I can't really remember. Mm. But the performance numbers typically are not really that good. I think this season so far, they look a little bit better than they were last season. But even that still paints them as a team that regularly get dominated, really. Uh, mm. like they, they, they tend to face a lot more shots than they take. Don't tend to have much more possession than, say, 35%. So uh, they do have players that are suited to the brand of football. So when it comes to counter attacking, um, when it comes to counter attacking and getting up the field, I think they've got players suited to that in like Wilson, Almiron, um, Saint Maximum, Fraser. You know, so the, the, the buying players are suited to the brand of football. But I think when it comes to analysing what they are and how they're doing, how they're surviving and in some cases, driving. They are a weird, weird case. Well, let's talk about their weirdness a little bit more here, Josh, because uh, so so far, Understat ranked them 13th best on their expected points model. Um, interestingly, they finished bottom of the table based on expected points on their model last season. Um, post shots expected goals against, so far this season, they ranked 17th. Um, They've actually faced the most shots in the league. Um, XG is the ranking 17th. They've attempted the second fewest number of shots in the league. Now, Josh, just answer me a question. Why are Newcastle not in a relegation battle and why are they not getting relegated? Because it makes absolutely <laughs> no sense based on those performance indicators that they're not. No, no. I think uh, the, there's just aspects of football, factors in football that, that those numbers don't pick up on that much. Like, say, for example, if you've got a really clever set piece, it's just going down as a headed shot. Mm. Um, so it's maybe not picking that up. Obviously, outside of performances, there's other things that can fact impact results, like just good luck, bad luck, refereeing decisions, uh, injuries, the, the crowd to an extent. Mm. Um, so I don't know. The, the, they just they are a weird team. They're, they're a team that, according to the performance numbers, the typical numbers that you would like to look for, to to say, okay, that is a good team. Newcastle do look bad. Yeah. Um, like if you think of most top teams in Europe, of for as long as you can remember, really, they always tend to see much of the ball. They always tend to outshoot their opponents, take better shots than their opponents. You know, just. Standard stuff like that, and Newcastle do the opposite. But the, I suppose, maybe because of the, the player quality they have, the individual player quality, they just um, they do enough to, to benefit from moments while hanging mm. on, at, for, for most of, most of the contest, most of the time. But you know, sitting back in a back five. Yeah. And, um, they, well, I guess you could maybe see they always seem to find a way to pull a, a rabbit out of the hat when they need to. Um, mm. And, you know, in a non-sophisticated way, that's what seems to happen. I remember, you know, even in the game on Monday, wasn't it, against Wolves, um, they were second best in that whole game and obviously um, scored a free kick late on and, and get something out of the game. I remember that uh, fixture Goodison. Don't know if you remember Josh, in January where... Uh, I, I don't know if you managed to watch it because I don't think it was on the telly but um, Everton uh, basically dominated for 90 minutes put in a really it was a commanding kind of 2-0 victory on paper um, 
and in, in diameter stoppage time. I remember they, that, yeah. yeah, pull one back and then just go and score another one straight away. And you think, he's going to took a point there and they've been nowhere near even competitive in the game. Um, yeah. And that does kind of feel like a Newcastle special. It does feel like under Bruce, they have a tendency to do that. Yeah, I suppose you could... I mean, this is, I suppose this isn't podcast for this sort of thing, but I suppose mm. you could put quite a bit of it down to character and mm. that sort of thing. You know, they're quite resilient in terms of uh, shutting up shop. Okay, they face a lot of shots, but I assume that a lot of them shots are from outside the box and, and stuff like that, out of frustration, maybe. Um, they do yeah. have the um, lowest expected goals against per shot average, which is interesting. Well... I think I'm pretty sure in saying they also have the joint worst expected goals per shot for as well. So <laughs> when it comes to them generating shots, they're bad. And when it comes to opponents generating shots against them, opponents are bad. So don't watch Newcastle. <laughs> you know what I mean? It sounds like the type of team to take bad shots themselves and, and force their opponents into taking bad shots as well. So Mm. Yeah, weird team, really weird team. I did something you did say uh, just before I round up. That I thought was really interesting, um, which you touched on set pieces. And to give them credit, I feel like a lot of Everton fans listening now will start seeing more value in set pieces because we've talked about them a lot and we're seeing how important they can be in games. Newcastle finished, I think it was maybe fourth or fifth in the in the table in terms of set piece goals last season. Um, you know, we had Liverpool, City, Villa, Bournemouth, and then Newcastle. Um, so if, if your games tend to be quite tight, 14 set-piece goals across a campaign can can be quite become quite valuable. And um, they are kind of, I guess, a way to bypass the XG models, don't they? Because they they're normally well-worked routines, but they don't always kind of get the credit they deserve in XG. And maybe that's, that's one way why they seem to outperform it so much. Yeah, Just another thing I'd like another thing I'd like to add on to that as well is when the um whenever they take a lead, they seem to sit on it. Um and in, in the performance numbers, you know, shots faced and shots taken. If you take a lead and you're happy to just hold it and you stop attacking, it's gonna look like at the end of the game like you've been battered or or mm. whatever. But if if you kind of had the match scenario under control for for the game because you already had the lead and you just you know it's a bit of a it's kind of like a handicap isn't it really mm. um so if, if you're one of them teams that changes your approach with lead which i think they they are that that's another thing that that xg maybe isn't really going to understand but it's mm. something that is is maybe happening well someone oh, an obvious one here but that's what liverpool did a lot last season didn't they where they they kind yeah. of went into a almost a like how would you what how would you frame it like a um, like a rest kind of thing. Yeah, I think of... I think in the in American sports, I think they call it garbage time. Yeah, that's what I was trying to. Yeah. So when it when it comes to like Liverpool going two 0 up, obviously because of the intensity of Klopp's game, I think he's realised since coming to England and basically on the, you know, according to the schedule, how packed the schedule is, you almost need to conserve your energy. So whereas Liverpool will go two up and and Manchester City will go two up. And City will go on and score six. Liverpool will be happy with the two, or maybe get a three, but they'll kind mm. of stop. Um, just stop being so offensive. Stop being so uh, adventurous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll, they've got the players to sit on the lead and stuff, and, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, we've got a little bit similar. Yeah, to an extent, well, that's basically what. Yeah, in a way, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, a couple of players to watch out for. Obviously, Saint Maximum, I think, is. Uh, so St. Maximum can be really inconsistent, but when he's on it, he's a he's a problem, isn't he? He's really skillful. Like he can take two or three men out with the ball at his feet. Um yeah. he's pretty so today style of play, like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Breaking out. Um Callum Wilson as well, you know. We talked about Danny Ings last week, and although he didn't get the goal, he, he did play a part, didn't he? I think in Che Adams' goal. Uh, I'm trying to think of top me but you know, in tight games, clinical finishes can be the difference. And Wilson does look like he's in some. He started okay. I think he's got three goals so far. Um, he scored a brace against Everton last season for Bournemouth. 
Um, so you know another player that seems to <laughs> seems to come alive when playing Everton. So they do have you know they do have some decent players, and they're not always an easy side to break down, are they? Well, that's it. Like when it comes to breaking them down, you have to get bodies forward. But then to cope with the threat of Saint Maximan and Wilson on a break, you need players behind the ball as well. Mm. So it's it's difficult to strike that balance against a team like Newcastle. Um, hence why they can look like they're under the cosh for half an hour, and they can just punish you at the moment because teams kind of get to a point where they start overcommitting to find a net, and Newcastle punish them at the opposite end. Um, and I think the likes of Saint Maximan in particular is just really unpredictable. Mm. When he's on the ball and he he can just create something out of nothing. Mm. I mean that's for your verdict, but before I do, Josh, I'm gonna um, greatly try and influence you. <laughs> um, I, I noticed this morning that Everton have won five of the last seven visits to St James's Park, and I remember thinking, I mean that's that's quite imp- impressive, really, because Everton don't normally have records like that anywhere away from home, um, and surely enough. It's only West Ham, I think, that they've beat away more times in the Premier League than Newcastle. Um, so with all that swirling around your mind and everything that we just talked about, of course, what are you going for in this one? Um, Charles is still out. Uh, yeah, he'll still be out. Luca Dean also out, but just for this game. Um, How much does it should be okay. As we're talking now, I've seen something that's saying um, he's been suffering with an injury since the uh, the Van Dyke challenge, but the, the source is, is very bad, so I'm going to take that with a pinch of salt. So let's assume he's in. Okay, this is a tricky one, this, because I'm not sure whether Ancelotti will will learn anything from the Owobi test and whether he'll put Gordon in or whether he'll use the same team or whatever. Um, and I was going to say... I was going to say a clean sheet for Everton, but then I thought to myself, Jordan Pickford, Sunderland, Newcastle, bit of emotion. Mm. You know what I mean? You, you just can't, uh, you can't put that kid. He is emotive in these games. Yeah, he's going to be fired up, isn't he? But I think I'm going to go. I'm going to go one all. Okay, okay. I can see you. Um, but I will say, if, if Everton had the first 11, this is the difference. If Everton had the first eleven, I'd be saying two 0 mm. Yeah, no, that's a that is a really good point because I'm thinking you've got no Coleman, no Luca Dean. We didn't get we didn't do any uh Nkunku propaganda because uh would have been nice to talk him up, but we don't know whether he'll definitely play. Um and then you've got Nova Charles. So they're really three key plays to be without. So you know, again it is a really tough test. Um I'm, I'm gonna back Everton just because um, because they've got a good record there, I think they, they probably can put better performances than they did on on Sunday. But I do agree; it, I think it's going to be hard, and it wouldn't surprise me if it was it was just a point. So I'll go, I'll go two nil. I'm going to go for the clean sheet okay. just because they need one. But we'll see what happens anyway. Um, Josh, let's round it up there and let's see what happens. So. As always, thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to Josh Williams for his insights, as always. At this no moment. problem, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, we'll we'll enjoy your weekend. Hopefully, a win, and we'll catch up again next week. Cheers, everyone. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.